This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. On that third mega trend, where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel, they're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. Today's episode is going to look back at last week's big NRF show. It's going to be a big look back recapping that uh, in a lot of different ways. So we have a bunch of audio that we're going to play for you and we're going to get you caught up on everything that you missed from NRF 2019. So that is coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. of the vendors and what everyone is trying to address in the retail industry. I, I almost don't envy the retailers themselves for all the choices that they have and, and what do they prioritize over, over what, um, from digital to uh, in-store to, you know, the Omnicom. There's so many, so many options for the vendor. Uh, I think some of the neater things, you know, some of the fancier things I've seen here are the, all the robots, lots of robots. A lot of choices and a lot of robots. That's a pretty good explanation of NRF 2019. And more than ever, retailers have a lot of choices to make when it comes to how to best manage their business. As everyone knows by now, the game has changed and there's a big question being asked these days by businesses with brick and mortar locations. Nick Schwartz, director of retail for Infinite Peripherals, summed it up this way. I don't need to go into your store because I can get everything delivered. So what is my compelling reason to bring you here? right? Is it the friendliness of my associates? Is it because I can learn how to do something? Um, Is it education? Is it a community gathering spot? Um, So I think retailers in all from low end to high end are all trying to figure out what is that experience that will uh, really enable you to not buy something online, but come visit me in in my store. Tim Raymond, Senior Product Manager at CompuCom, says technology needs to be worked to create positive customer experiences for brick-and-mortar locations. The technology is not just about omni-channel or online engagement. It's how you bridge that into the brick-and-mortar experience and really give that value back to the customer and make them feel special. He isn't alone in wanting to see tech integrated into brick-and-mortar locations. Ahmed Beshri, COO of Caper, says that with a large percentage of shoppers still making purchases offline, that more tech will continue to be brought into the brick-and-mortar spaces. Uh, I think brick-and-mortar technology or brick-and-mortar space is going to get innovated more and more. Uh, And I, I personally don't think that online is going to be the only way that people shop and that you know since over 90 percent of the market is still offline we're going to see a lot better technology make its way into brick and mortar florian leach of 20 billion neurons echoes those same sentiments new technologies can actually help bring uh, like the traditional retail experience some some new um, and not only like gimmicky uh, experience but also substantial improvements and um this ranges from like more data-driven analytics stuff all the way to providing new experiences. 
But what tech is the right tech, and how do retailers make sure that they make the right decisions? As Stefan Vasarius, Director of Customer Acquisition and Success with System of One, points out, retailers are reactive to what they see in the market, causing them to reach out to companies like his for solutions. My personal feeling is that retailers are more reactive, right. and companies like ours are more mm -hmm. proactive. So they come up with the ideas, um, they present it to retailers, and then the retailers have to make like wise decisions what to implement first because there's so much going on that um, I can also understand retail that they have to select the best option and first have to try out what really is valuable for their consumers. Um, yeah, so I think retailers are more, as I said, on the, on the reactive side and we are more on the proactive side here. One of the tools that retailers have at their disposal is the vast amount of data that AI and machine learning are providing. David Moran, co-founder and chairman of Eversight, explains why data is so important and how it can be used. You can do a whole bunch of things way better uh, using artificial intelligence than you could in the old world. Uh, the first is uh, the type of data you'd get from 104 weeks of history, we can get in five weeks with more accuracy. Um, the second is for a bunch of products, the price has actually been the same for the last two years. So what exactly are you regressing? And so if we're able to run some experiments, we can learn information that wasn't present before. And then uh, the other piece too is we can correct wrong data. So history is noisy. And so a lot of times when you're running regressions of history, you end up finding that you know certain uh, relationships that appear to be true actually aren't. Something else drove it. Um, and then finally, because of the experiment designs where different products are being tested up and down in a deliberate experiment versus a sort of natural experiment of the past, uh, you get better cross-elasticity data, which means we can really understand for the first time what actually grows a category, what actually shifts the total basket to be better. Um, so that's sort of uh, what we're excited about. Data can be used to create those experiences that retailers so badly want to craft, and shoppers are really seeking these days. Michelle Fisher, Chief Customer and Marketing Officer at Kibo, says it's important that personalization moves from being thought of as something specifically just for the web and into the mobile space as well. We're also seeing that while personalization on the homepage and website has become really advanced and people are on board with that, now the next stage of where people are focusing and want to innovate is how they personalize the mobile experience. The growth in mobile shopping is growing exponentially and as well as that um, how we think about personalization and the fulfillment play uh, for consumers. Charlene Marini, VIP of Strategy at Arm Inc., described her favorite marriage of both mobile and brick-and-mortar retail. I think one of the ones that's really exciting for, for me is the ability to view something online and where it might be stopped and then to be able to go into a retail space, have that personalized experience that matches kind of the, the online browsing and selection that I made. Eric Archer-Smith, senior manager at Arm Treasure Data, takes it one step further, suggesting that retailers can craft specific experiences across web, mobile, and in-purchase behaviors using the data collected from each of those specific instances to help inform the experience on the other. Well, I mean, in terms of production use cases, I really like when people or when some of our customers have been able to blend and differentiate between uh, like sort of web purchase behavior, mobile purchase behavior, and in-store purchase behavior, and create sort of tailored experiences for each environment. Uh, whereas I think even as you know, uh, you know, 12 months ago, these systems were very siloed, and frequently, if you wanted to have a personalized mobile experience, it would be limited to the data and insights from that mobile experience. Whereas now, we can enrich from all of the other data sources so that the experience you have on mobile may have been informed by what you just did in the store. 
Uh, and I think these are really delighting customers and we're seeing, uh, or at least our customers are seeing increased re revenue because of it. Like I mentioned at the beginning, there are a lot of questions to be answered for retailers in 2019 and a lot of different avenues to take when it comes to these questions of what tech do you use? How do you apply your data in the correct ways? And joining me next to talk about NRF 2019 and about the year ahead is Brian Eisenberg. He's a retail expert. He's a best-selling author, and he has a lot of insight and knowledge into this field. And he surprised me with one of the things that he said about the upcoming year and about where he thinks retail is right now. He's going to answer that question right off the bat. And so, so I'm really curious uh, to see what you think about it and how you feel about what Brian Eisenberg says coming up next here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. All right, coming up next, he's the co-founder of Buyer Legends, and he's the author of many best-selling books, including Call to Action, Waiting for Your Cat to Bark, Always Be Testing, Buyer Legends, and Be Like Amazon, Even a Lemonade Stand Can Do It. It's Brian Eisenberg. Brian, thank you so much for joining me here on the Retail Podcast today. Thank you, Tyler. I'm excited to be here. So you were at NRF 2019, and I'm just wondering your general impressions of, of the show and kind of what was your big takeaway? Number one, it was busy. Um, and, and, and thankfully it didn't snow. So those are two very uh, positives. The, I, I'd say the biggest takeaway for me, um, and having been to NRF for a number of years now, is I think this is the first year where um, we didn't hear people really trying to push the boundaries so far, chasing a, a you know, bright, shiny object. Um, there is very little talk about VR, uh, barely any talk about you know, augmented reality. Um, and we just got back to the basics and we got back to the stuff that just needs to get done. So you heard people talking about uh, personalization. You, you, talk, you, you heard people talking about, you know, uh, AI and machine learning. You heard people talk about, um, you, know, uh, you know, improving mobile checkout and improving, um, uh, you know, the point of sale systems in their stores and giving associates more access to data. And, and, and so, I mean, I think that's the, the biggest takeaway I had is maybe, maybe we're slowing down a little bit on the high hopes that everything's going to change. And in fact, that we just have to get back to the fundamentals and start improving them. Yeah, and, and when you, when we talk about personalization, that's something that's that's been around in the industry for a long time. But I think sometimes with all of the technology, it can get confused into how exactly do I use these tools that are at our disposal now uh, to create personalized experiences for shoppers. So, what were some ways that you saw at NRF, and what are some practical ways for people listening to the podcast to actually go about putting some of this technology to use when it comes to personalization? So, uh, you know. The, the problem with personalization, is, and I think this is where everybody struggles, and I had this conversation with several people while I was there, is personalization is not a technology, right? And I think that's when, when, you, when you realize that it's not about just putting a tool and you've solved the problem. It's a cultural issue. It's a people and process uh, and systems issue. It's a way of thinking differently. Uh, and I think that, you know, again, you know, coming back to the Be Like Amazon book, if you, if you look at, at what just Jeff Bezos set out to create, I'm going to take you back to 1994 before Amazon launched, right? If you've, if you've read the Everything Store, you know he, he set out to be Earth's most customer-centric company. And, and we'll talk about customer centricity, I hope, in a couple of minutes because I think it's also such a critically overused word. 
But here he went, and in 1994, he wanted to be Earth's. So again, big ambitions, and I think we all kind of underestimated a little bit of, uh, of his ability to do that, but customer-centric. So what did that mean? And if you go back to you know, the 1960s, one-to-one marketing, it's really about taking data and serving your customers based on the data, on what they want, the way they want to buy, the way they want to gather information. And I think this is what really differentiates um, the companies that get it right versus the companies that just put in a system and hope that you know the the algorithm will all of a sudden deliver something good for them and and, and increase sales. And of course, you know some of them do. I'm not saying they don't, but they don't bring it to the culture. And and I think when you fail to do that, at the end of the day, uh, you're just putting lipstick on the pig. You mentioned something about customer centricity, and you're you, you talking about that that's an overused term. I, I wonder what you mean by that, and I, I just want to give you the platform <laughs> to kind of uh, get on your soapbox, if you will. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's um, it's it's a funny term because you know there's so much data out there that talks about you know from the Bain study where that you know they asked 300 you know, uh, 60-something executives, whether they thought they were customer-centric. And 95% of them said, oh, yeah, no, absolutely, you know, we're, we're, we're customer-centric. Um, to the, uh, and, and then when they, they asked them, uh, 80% of them agreed that they were exceptional at customer-centricity, but yet only 8% of their customers agreed. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of creates a, a, a little bit of a, of a whole uh, in the experience, if, if you think about it that way. Um, and, and there's been other studies like this. And when I look at it from Amazon's perspective, right, a lot of people, when they think about customer centricity, they think about really going overboard um, and, you know, and delivering um, just this wonderful over-the-top experience, very almost like in a humanistic kind of way um, of, of taking care of their customers. But in reality, when you know, I start thinking about customer centricity and I take it back to that quote I mentioned with, with Jeff Bezos is, you know, he's not that warm, fuzzy guy. I mean, you, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time with him. You don't have to, um, you know, hear it. Uh, you, you know, you can hear him from videos. What it is, is just that it's, it's, it's a running of your company based on your customer data and making decisions on there. And as we know, there are still many companies where you know, you can call in and you can get in touch with an associate and they don't have any answers and they can't make any decisions. And it's only until you start getting to management, uh, to the hippos, right, who, who make decisions throughout the organizations, right, the, the people with the highest paid opinions. And so what customer centricity is, is that everybody has access to data, everybody has access to the individual, and it allows us to serve them the way they want to be served. And, uh, and ultimately, I think that's the key thing. And if you look at Amazon's growth curve, you know, the biggest growth curve happened once um, the iPhone launched. Hmm. And if you, if, you, if you go back in our history, we know very clearly that they were the first ones and the only ones back, back when the iPhone launched that their platform allowed for mobile shopping and desktop shopping to continue one channel to the next. It didn't matter, right? They just tied it to that, that single identifier. And I mean, I think this is the struggle that companies like Walmart have had, right? Where, you know, I walk into the store and you walk into the store, they don't know which one of us is the most valuable cu customer. Right. <laughs> right. They, they, know to, they, <laughs> they, they, they know to the square inch on a shelf how much product they'll probably move and where it should be. That, that was their expertise down to the product level. But today it's about being an expertise at the customer level. 
So you mentioned a lot about data. How are AI and machine learning really improving data collection and, and really allowing retailers to do a better job of collecting that data and, and putting it into practice? Well, that, that's exactly it. The problem is we are, like, I mean, you know, buried is not even the word. I mean, it's kind of like monsoon level of, of, of data and information flowing at us as, as individuals and as companies all day long. Uh, and we're really struggling with that. And, and the challenge and w- what I found is one of the most common challenges that lead to, to what I call revenue blind spots is that organizations have all this data, but it doesn't lead us to action, right? Uh, we, we, we take our analysts and they try to, to, to come up with some insights. We may make a few changes, but it doesn't scale. And so the beauty of AI is that, and, and machine learning, is that it can, it can go through all of this data uh, in, in real time uh, process it, run it off the models that it's learning to do, and then your decision. You can actually have uh, some of the AIs will actually, you know, take the action directly for you based on a set of rules you've created, or at least alert you immediately that you that you can start taking action. And I think that's when you can start, um, you know, really uh, reacting in real time to market demands. And uh, you know, that's the other big challenge that we have today: is just keeping up with customer expectations. Absolutely. And uh, so frictionless payment has been a big topic here. You know, how, how do you create uh, experiences that, that reduce friction and that sort of thing? So right here in Dallas, we have a new Sam's Club now that opened uh, that follows that same model as kind of those Amazon stores. Uh, what do you think of this frictionless payment trend and how widespread do you think this is going to go in 2019? So I, I have a problem with the term frictionless. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, taking take from somebody who's been battling friction for, you know, 20 years, um, th- there's only two main focuses a company needs to do, right? Battle friction internally and externally and increase motivation internally and externally. In other words, you got to keep your, your employees motivated so they keep your customers happy and understand, you know, keep understanding your customers' motivation so you can help them buy better, right? Mm-hmm. Very simple. But but here's the challenge. Um, have you ever gone to a supermarket and gone to those, you know, cashierless checkouts, mm-hmm. right? Do you enjoy scanning those products in? Uh, I, I don't personally enjoy it a ton, no. Okay, not you know what? Empl- employees don't enjoy it a ton either. <laughs> um, right. And even if you put it on a mobile app, and I have to go through the store and keep scanning stuff. Guess what? That's still friction. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and this is this is part of what you know. I I want to challenge retailers to start thinking differently. Innovation doesn't have to be huge, but you know, it it it, it bothers me that here we have retailers with with the resources of of you know of WalMarts and others out there who have been in retail for. 100 years, 60 years, 80 years, but it took Amazon launching Amazon Go to realize, oh, maybe we should offer some way for people to check out easier. You look, the number one frustration is, and, and the number one thing we're battling for is people's time. And the worst part of time is sitting on a line waiting for someone to check you out. It's much easier to sit in my underwear in my house. Sorry for the <laughs> visual, everybody, right? But, but, get up, but get on my iPhone and order a bunch of things and have it delivered and never have to waste my time. And if you're making me waste my time scanning things that may or may not work and trying to find where is the barcode, like, no, that's not, that's not frictionless. It's mm-hmm. a step in the right direction. It's reducing it, but it's not frictionless. Um, we still have a long ways to go. Let's just put it that way. To, to me, when I hear frictionless, uh, it, it basically, I think, has maybe become synonymous with 
uh, less human interaction, I suppose, which to me seems like uh, like like retailers are just are just trying to remove human interaction as much from the equation as possible. And to me, that also might feel like a misstep, also because there might be a balance that needs to be maintained between having you know actual human interaction that can aid in the process and also you know reducing time spent at the store and that sort of thing. I, I just wonder your thoughts on that. I totally agree. Uh, you know. It, it, Retail is about people at the most fundamental level. And I think, you know, if I, if I want to remove the people, I'll buy online. Uh, In-stores need to be about people, about bringing people together uh, in a sense of community and connecting with them one-on-one. Uh, just the same way, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I... You know, I'm I'm not I'm not that old, but I but I do remember the days of, you know, and I, I was just on a, a podcast while I was in New York, uh, talking to somebody who grew up in my neighborhood, was a few years older than me. You know, and I remember the retailers. I remember the people I used to, you know, I, who I used to see in the store over and over again, develop relations with them, and they knew me. And you know, I think, you know, a, you know, retail has become um, over the years about moving product and not about connecting people to events and experiences. And I think when you start coming back to the people part, it's like, yes, let's use technology to minimize the people's, you know, the, the, our employees' time wasted, um, but let's put them into opportunities to connect with actual people and, and deliver real value to our customers. So let's say we're having this conversation a year from now, you know, exactly a year from now following NRF 2020. Uh, what do you think has occurred over the past year? Uh, you, you mentioned kind of retail getting back to the basics and kind of going back to some of the fundamentals and really diving into what's actually possible to do rather than pie in the sky kind of ideas. What do you think has actually taken place over the year of 2019? And where do you say we are a year from now? I, I believe we're going to see a lot more uh, physical store transformation. You know, physical, physical retail is not dying, but you know, the, the standard old experience of, of just putting products up for the sake of having products um, is going to change. Uh, and we're seeing that, like, you know, we, we heard from the keynote from uh, the gentleman from Beta. Uh, and of course, we have one of those Beta stores here in, uh, in Austin. Uh, it's a different experience and it's not for everybody, uh, but, but I think it's a, a step of being different. And I, I think, um, you know, the, uh, the other one that was, that was interesting and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's halfway between you and I, uh, you know, we heard from Chip and Joanna Gaines. And, and if you look at their model, I think it's a great model for looking at, at what retail should be like in the future, right? I mean, here they are. They create amazing content, right? The, you know, TV quality content, obviously. Right. Um, but, you, you know, you go to, to Waco today to, you know, to the Magnolia Market and, you know, uh, first of all, you've got the shop and it's just, you know, a, a curated uh, uh, products and all that, of course. But they've got this huge lawn with all these food trucks and, and, you know, there's uh, lawn games out there and and people are spending a day just enjoying being around that environment. And it's about the event of being there uh, and being present in that moment and shopping is just part of the experience, right? If they take something home, that's, that's, that's a, a plus. Uh, And I think when you, when you start realizing that you can create so much more in physical spaces uh, that you can ever do online, um, that if if they invest in doing those things, kind of like the Nike store has done, right? It's a it's a completely different environment, and of course, you know, it's way over the top. Um, uh, as I was told by a couple of uh, friends who visited, who uh, were not in their particular age group, <laughs> the, the 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 music was a little over the top for them. But of course, you know, they're not their prime demographic, and, and I get that. And, and I, but that's the whole point. They're creating uh, you know an experience for their type of customer, and 
And for the customer that, you know, doesn't like that, well, the, of course, they have the online option as well. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're, we're, we're really going to see uh, hopefully a lot more creativity in how we use space differently. I don't think we need the big box stores per se, um, but I think we can do things uh, quite a bit differently, even in smaller spaces. Yeah, I like the example of Chip and Joanna because it really feels like they've nailed that experience like you're talking about. Like if my wife goes up there or goes down to uh, to Waco to kind of, uh, you know, visit that place, uh, she's going to eat at the food truck and she's going to go check out their bakery. And uh, and then she's more than likely going to end up buying way too much stuff there because it's Chip and Joanna and it's just a great day and she gets wrapped up in that environment. And I think that that's uh, a great example of someone just kind of uh, knowing their audience and then being able to, to nail that concept there uh, in their space. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my, my daughter who's 17 years old drives up there with, with her friends to spend, you know, to spend a weekend day. Or, you know, I just had some friends visit from New Hampshire and they went with their, you know, with their daughter and all that. And like, they just had so much fun. I mean, they, just yesterday they reposted the pictures on Facebook because it was just such a memorable experience. And um, and they do lots of little things like, it, 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 you know, they have little areas where you come in and you could take pictures and, and share it on social media. Like, uh, you know, I think it's it's one of those things that when you start creating a destination for people to go to, because you remember Waco didn't have such a great reputation before, before, before they kind of uh, revived it. I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, same here. Yeah. Um, and I think, like I said, retailers could do so much more in, 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 in you know, all different parts of the country, not just in New York City. Um, you know, to create these the, these mega marts, but really just to connect around destinations uh, and, and events. And I think you'll you'll see completely different things. Brian, great insight, uh, helping us put a bow on NRF 2019. Where can people find more about you if they're interested in uh, in your books or following you on Twitter, any of that information? Sure. They can find me at uh, brianeisenberg.com or buyerlegends.com. And of course, they can find me on LinkedIn um, and uh, Twitter at uh, The Grok, uh, as well as Instagram, Facebook. I'm, I'm not that hard to find. <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a podcast in, episode in and of itself finding out how you got the Twitter handle The Grok. But uh, that might be a, a question for a, a different time, different day. But Brian, thank you so much for joining us here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast. It was my pleasure, Tyler. That was Brian Eisenberg joining me here on the Market Scale Retail Podcast, helping me recap NRF 2019 and look ahead to the year that is coming for the retail industry. A lot of interesting decisions to be made and a lot of things for retailers to ponder as they consider all of the different tech and all of the different data options ahead of them here in the coming year. And as they try to get a little bit more practical with some of this stuff, as Brian was mentioning, uh, maybe not so pie in the sky, maybe not so conceptual, but more here's exactly what we can do and here's what's feasible in the coming year. So I'm really curious to see how that turns out and what we'll be talking about at this time next year following NRF 2020. That's all we have for this episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast. We do appreciate you listening very, very much today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it around with uh, other people in the industry, anybody that you think might enjoy it. You can also subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get podcasts to make sure that you get the latest podcast downloaded directly to your mobile device. We will be back shortly with another episode of the Market Scale Retail Podcast with more content just like this. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you for listening.